Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am thrilled that you're here. Excited to be here. Look forward to this. I was like, when's my time with Minnie? How old are your girls now? Uh, four and two. My God, you're in the weeds. <laughs> I am. <laughs> oh, four and two. Holy moly. <laughs> Baby birds. I know that people feel this way about their children, but my son, he is just the best person I know. I could talk to him forever. Oh my gosh. It's funny. He's downstairs drinking Kool-Aid, which we just drove to the American store to get. So, <laughs> Hello, I'm Minnie Driver, and welcome to Mini Questions. I've always loved Proust's Questionnaire. It was originally an 18th century parlor game meant to reveal an individual's true nature. But with so many questions, there wasn't really an opportunity to expand on anything. So I took the format of Proust's Questionnaire and adapted what I think are seven of the most important questions you could ever ask someone. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? 
And can you tell me something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? The more people we ask, the more we begin to see what makes us similar and what makes us individual. I've gathered a group of really remarkable people who I'm honored and humbled to have had a chance to engage with. My guest today is Hoda Cutby, who is really the most surprising and interesting person who we probably already think we know. I know I did. She's been the co-anchor of the Today Show since 2018, been a tireless advocate for breast cancer awareness and surviving cancer herself, and became a mother later in her life, which gives her a perspective on motherhood that I found extremely relatable and joyful. Okay, so like, you know these questions. Mm -hmm. I'm dying to hear what your answers are. What would be your last meal? I've debated this because this is a biggie. I think I would have Joel's salmon. He barbecues salmon every Saturday and it is the best salmon. It like melts in your mouth and it reminds me of us. So I would have that. I would have really crispy, crunchy, delicious French fries only because for my whole life, that's been my comfort food. And I would love that. I would have my mom's baklava. I can close my eyes and taste it. She's 86 and she still makes it and it's delicious. And it reminds me of all the goodness in my mom. It reminds me of our kitchen when we were kids. And then I would probably eat about three gallons of ice cream because I'm not allowed to eat ice cream because I've got a dairy problem. Oh, well, that won't matter. Your dairy problem, yeah. Then I wondered, would I want to eat it all? Who knows? Maybe feel terrible at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to Mary. My team is Mary and she's outside eating a sandwich. (laughs) My team is my dog, and he's going to bark, definitely, in this. I was talking to Mary, and she's like, I just have ice water. I'd be, are you fucking kidding? I'd be sick to my stomach. Why would I eat? Oh, my God, it's your last meal. Eat it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I realized in asking this question that implicit in the question is, you know, and then you're going to die. Or that's it. It's out. And it's like, isn't that what we'd really be thinking about? Like what Mary says, is like, I wouldn't be able to eat a thing. I would just drink water. I don't know. I think it's that what is the food that connects you most to life, regardless of whether you're about to die or not. I love food so much. When I speak to people who are like, yeah, you know, it's fuel. I just want to, I just want to punch them really. You know what? I, one of my favorite desserts is a sheet cake, like a sheet birthday cake. Yeah. I just want to sit on my couch sometimes because I make them for everybody's birthday. I just want to sit on my couch when no one's home. I can't be myself when people are around with a big spoon and that sheet cake and just sit there and just scoop that up. Like that would be one of my favorite nights. I just agree with you. There is covert food. That is a category of living that doesn't get enough play. Like I like standing up in my kitchen with a sheet of mozzah with really thick, delicious French salted butter and Marmite. And I like to stand up and listen to the radio and look out at what's happening on the street. Total rear window it with my Marmite and mozza. I've never told anybody that, Hoda. I've never admitted that, but that is what I like to do. And I like to stand up when I'm doing it. By the way, the covert eating Joel had any idea what I ate when he went out of town. He'd be like, oh, God. (laughs) When the kids go to bed, if Joel's out, Chirpin' Chicken has a rack of ribs 
that has all kinds of barbecue. I literally get a roll of paper towels. I sit in front of the TV on the floor. It's gross. And I just go for it. And I am like done with it. And I want to dispose of the evidence just in case. I've done that special trash bag for food that you don't want anyone to know that you ate. I'm also imagining that it's a full rack of ribs. It's not a hot, even a half rack. Girl. And what I have to do sometimes to stop myself, this is TMI, is when I eat enough of the cake and I just have to throw it away, I just I have to get cascade and pour it on because sometimes, sometimes it, after an hour or so, I'll go, wait, there was still a good bite in there. I have to ruin it so that you can't go back because if you're sitting on top of the can, it's still edible. Okay, every woman, every woman I know, except the one who said the food was fuel, understands that pouring on something to ruin it. Do you remember in the beginning of Thelma and Louise, there's this great scene where Gina Davis is on the phone with her husband, who's being horrible. And she just keeps going to the fridge and she takes out like a Snickers bar and she takes a bite and she wraps up and she puts it back in and then she goes and does something else. And she eats the whole thing through the whole scene. And I do that always. I pretend like I'm not going to finish the chocolate bar, the cake, the buns, the ice cream, the mochi. The super thin of the cake, the tiny thin. <laughs> just, that's, what my, that's what my friend said to me. I was like, at dinner, I was like, oh, I'll just, have, I'll just have a little tiny piece of cake. And she was like, yeah, because you're going to eat the rest in the kitchen when everyone else is drinking coffee. She's right. What person, place, or experience most altered your life? I mean, for the better, uh, it was my kids. And probably for the worse was, you know, I was at a sorority formal. I was a trinel. And my brother, who also went to Virginia Tech, he was another fraternity. And we were having our formal or whatever. And we were dancing and drinking and all the stuff. And my brother runs in. And I was like, oh, my God, my brother always said he was going to crash trinel formals. Like, he, he and his buddy did it. And he said come outside. And I said, what? He goes, come outside. And he's talked to you. And I go, no, I said that you need to tell me. And he said, dad had a heart attack and he died. It was like, you couldn't even compute what was going on. And I remember we got into a car and we drove to his apartment where he shared with a bunch of other people. And we laid on the bed. So funny, I'm just remembering. And I played James Taylor on the turntable over and over and over and over until we went home that morning. I think, you know, losing him that young, I mean, I went without my contacts, I'm legally blind, I had on headphones and I would walk around campus just obliviously for most of the year, I think. And it's funny, it was the worst thing in the world, but I often look around where I am now and wonder you know, you always want an add a girl from your dad. You know, you always want to, you did it. And throughout my career, I think there were probably a few spots where he probably would have said, well, good for you. You did it. And then I would have been done. But instead, when you don't have that add a girl, you're like, I guess there's more of this mountain to climb. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. And you may keep pushing yourself for something that isn't coming, but at the end of the day, it landed me in a beautiful place. Now I have a beautiful family and, you know, all those great things happened as a result of it. So I think that event was really life-changing. It helped me in some ways. 
and it left me with unfinished business and others like, you know, we just weren't super close. He was closer with my brother and my sister than me. I used to sometimes sit in the car with him and we would, we wouldn't say anything. I was trying to think of something to say. Yeah. I, it's so funny. I remember sitting next to my dad at the Academy Awards and it was so amazing that he was there and my mom was there and my sister and he's holding my hand as they're reading out the nominees and he leans over and he's like, darling, you're not going to win. <laughs> And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, no, you're not going to win. And he was squeezing my hand. He was like, it's okay. You'll win something else. <laughs> and it was so funny. I swear to you, I was still chuckling when they read out Kim Basinger's name. I was still laughing, just going, you've got to be fucking kidding me. But it was so perfect. It was like, that was the outer girl that I needed in that moment. Oh my God. daddy Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. 
And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of a personal disaster? Yes, there was a biggie. I was working here at NBC and everything was great. I worked at Dateline. I was newly married. la di da da Life was great. I went for a routine mammogram and she felt something and she said, you should get it checked. So in this weird span of a week, I found out that I needed a mastectomy. And at the same time, I found out that the guy who I was married to was being unfaithful. And I literally was like, what is happening? Like, what happened? I didn't understand. And I went for surgery and was horrible. So in that time afterwards, I was in covering, which was just laying around watching Law and Order and trying to figure out what I was madder about, the sickness or the soon-to-be ex-husband. And in the middle of all of it, I had this sort of weird epiphany, which happens, I think, sometimes when everything is crummy. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, I had made it. And I got these four words that sort of came to me, and they were, you can't scare me. And I learned at work, they were starting a new hour of the Today Show, a fourth hour. And I did something I had never done before. I've never really like raised my hand and said, pick me for this job because here's why I'm so good. I just worked really hard. I was like, see me over here. I'm the one working. Hey, if you want to promote me, I'm over here. Like I was that one, not the one who 
strung themselves with Christmas lights and talked about how good they were. So in this moment with that epiphany and that feeling I was having, I said, you know what? I'm going to go ask for that effing job. And I still remember I got in the elevator at 30 Rock and went to the 52nd floor, which was all the way up. And I walked in to Jeff Zucker's office at the time he was heading up NBC. And I said, Jeff, I had this epiphany. I got better. You can't scare me. I want this job. He was like, okay, you are, who are you again? He had been through brain cancer. So he understood that feeling of unstoppability, kind of. And I finished my speech. My heart was pounding. I did it. I'd never done that. People saw me as a Dateline person. I was in Afghanistan and I had a couple of producers pulling for me and I ended up getting that damn job. And I thought to myself, oh my God, if I hadn't gotten sick, I wouldn't have the guts. Like I wouldn't have the courage. I wouldn't have the mojo. I wouldn't have gone up. I would have never asked. I would have waited like I usually do, but instead it was urgent. Like my life had margins. There was a beginning and an end. Like stop wasting time. Like that hit me. It was like all of a sudden life was urgent. And that happened. I ended up getting it. And I thought, well, talk about the silver lining of a yucky, horrible, terrible couple of years turned into a job that turned into another job. I mean, I can't even believe I'm 56 and I'm doing the today. Like, how did that happen? Like, how did it happen? I'm still stunned even now as I sit in my office wondering like, wow, that was weird. But I think that was it. And going through the divorce and a sickness and going through two things at once. It's like you can't really pile all your sadness in one place. <laughs> you got to split it. And maybe that helps you in a weird way. Like I'm mad at him. Why am I sick? You know, then I'm like, I'm feeling better. What a jerk. You know, and so all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, well, here I am. I think I made it through. Wow. God, I wish when the really bad, hard stuff was happening that concurrent with our fear and worry and fear and worry could be this idea that I know something's going to grow out of this. Mm -hmm. I, I know that this is not for nothing. It's funny that we can look back and we can see that, but at the time when it's happening, it always astonishes me that we can't comfort ourselves with what is most likely going to happen which is, as you said, something grows. Yes. And yeah, you're right. I would have loved to have known in the middle of all those days, like, don't worry, there's something coming. Because then you realize, like, you, you're only here for a minute. So you do you. That's it. That's all you get. One ride around the sun. So you can tiptoe around and make everyone feel better and do what you do, or you can speak it, say it out loud kind of thing. What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? I had to think about this one for a while. I have a best friend who I've known for 20 years. Her name's Karen. She met her husband in New Orleans. We, we both lived there. and He was a police officer. She's a reporter, and it was a beautiful romance. And over the years, I watched that relationship. And I was always in awe of it because it worked on all cylinders. It worked as a partnership, as a romantic relationship. They connected in all the ways. And I hadn't seen many relationships that worked everywhere. Usually it's like, well, this is for my friends and this is for my husband. And it seemed like they had a connection that worked everywhere. And he got very, very ill a couple of years ago. And sadly, he passed away. 
And it was really since his passing that I, I watched Karen speak about the love she has for him in this moment. And I was so struck by the depth. I knew it was deep, but I think it was watching her, number one, go to hospital room after hospital room for years and years, writing notes, writing notes, writing notes, talking to doctors, another doctor, I have to follow up, I have to call back, why aren't they doing this? What's up with the insurance? It was endless, endless. She was there, she was always there. And I flew to MD Anderson a few times just to be there with them. And I walked in and she was always determined and driven and had that look. And meantime, she was flying priests in to talk to John. And she's probably like the most selfless person I've ever met and the kindest. And they have a daughter who's graduating high school. And there's a lot that's happening in that world. Yet here she is, you know, speaking about the love of her husband. And it was underscored two weeks ago. I was asking her this question about a priest who had come to visit John when he was ill. And he was from India. And I said, whatever happened to Father Bala, this priest who came? And is he okay in India with everything that's going on with COVID? And she said, well, he's in a remote area. She said, you know, they're building a church there. And I said, oh, wow, that's terrific. She, she said, they used to have to walk five miles, but now they're building one in their community. I said, how did they do that? That's great. She said, well, they just got the, you know, all the equipment and things that they needed and they built it. And I said, oh, that's great. And she said, you know, some of the equipment could be expensive, but anyway, they got it. And I said, how did they how did they get all that equipment and things to build a church? And she goes, they, they just got it. And I said, please tell me how they got it. And she said, supplies are inexpensive and the dollar goes a long way. And I looked at her and I said, okay. I said, did you? And she doesn't ever say. And then she said, her husband's name is John Ronquillo. And she said, oh, they called it the John Ronquillo Church. Oh my goodness. And I thought like the depth of, First of all, her humility is beyond my comprehension. She'll never tell you she's done something good. She probably regrets that she told me that story because she doesn't like to share that she's doing something. She just does things. You know, she'll give everything away and not mention it. She selflessly and with great humility helped this community build a church. She didn't want to mention it. And they, because they love John, called it the John Ronquillo Church, because she always says he's as close to a saint as she can imagine. Do you think that devotion and selflessness are those, the cornerstones of love? Well, it's beautiful that you put it that way. I guess I feel like I see it personified in people, but I guess I've never broken it down. But yeah, the depth is more than a we click, more than we have a lot in common, more than I can tell him things. You know, there's a depth there that I think is rare. I don't think everyone gets to experience that kind of relationship. And he, uh, John, on Sundays, he would go off in the morning and she said, I don't know what he's doing, probably running, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. She didn't learn until years later that he was always stopping at this older woman's house to sit with her. Her husband had died and that, that was one of his stops in the morning, but he didn't talk about it. He just did it. And I said, well, I think John's probably a saint. You are too. It's just, no, but saints don't say fuck. So I couldn't be. <laughs> I bet all the cool saints say fuck. <laughs> but anyway, it just struck me to watch that. And they have this young daughter and I'm just, I'm watching her. And Listen, it doesn't always shake out the way that you think it should, in quotes. Mm -hmm. And 
it sounds like that young woman, what she has had, what she has seen of love and what she has experienced of devotion is irreplaceable and will be with her forever. And it's not that one should ever have an either or, like either you have a dad or you have this amazing example of devotion and love, but but how incredible that she does have that and that that's his legacy. It's very hard when you lose someone to think about legacies because you really just, you don't care. You're like, I don't care about the legacy. I just want them here. I want them here to hug and to touch and to feel and to be with and to talk to. But the reality is, if they've played their hand and it's done, what is left behind them is really genuinely what you celebrate, right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. 
We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts So tell me, when and where were you happiest? I'm my happiest in this moment. And the reason I say that is because I've had so many beautiful moments in my life, but nothing comes close to what happened to me four years ago where Joel and I adopted Haley. And I think when you don't think you're going to get something because you don't know why. It wasn't in your cards. And I always dreamt of being a mom. I thought it was in my DNA. I had some bumps in the road, a divorce and, and an illness. And then you realize, well, wait, I think the window went past me. And you almost are shocked. Like, wait, what happened? How did I miss that window? So I would say out loud, all I wanted to do was be a school teacher. And I would say, as soon as I'm done with this job at the Today Show, I'm going to be a school teacher because it was the closest I could get. To being with kids. And I was actually thinking about like, how do I get my education degree? I don't have that. What do I do? How do I do it? And then one day I actually watched a video and it was a child in Syria. The place had been bombed and he had soot on his face. And I just, I was struggling with it. And I looked at that kid and I said, oh my God, what I wouldn't do to be the mother to that child. And that was like the final sign. There were so many signs before, but I think that was the sign. And I said, if God tells you something, pay attention. Stop turning your head. Stop saying not now. Stop saying it's too late. Stop, stop, stop. And so I approached the guy who I'd been dating for, I don't know, six months, who has a grown daughter. And I was like, how am I going to say this? And I guess this will show me whether or not he loves me enough. And I said to him, I'm going to ask you something that's very important to me, but I don't want you to answer right now. I need you to think about it. And I said, I have these feelings that I cannot push away anymore. And that's it. Like, I have to say it out loud or I'll explode. You know that feeling when you, you're carrying something, it's heavy? I really do. And I said, I would like to explore adoption with you. And literally it was like 1001, 1002, 1003. 
I was looking at his face and I was thinking to myself, in this weird five second vacuum, everything was about to change. Everything. Either I was going to think maybe he doesn't love me enough and maybe this was over, or he was going to say yes and our lives would change in another way. And he literally, maybe on second number five, he said to me, oh, I don't need a week. I don't need any time to think about it. The answer is yes. And I literally fell on his chest and sobbed because it was like, finally, I said it out loud. You know, the thing you're most scared of, say it out loud. And either way, it's resolved. You might as well say it. And, and literally, I just sobbed. Like, I still saw the mascara stains on his t-shirt. I was like, that kind of sobbing. But anyway, that was the beginning. Wow. So you would have done it anyway. If that had meant the end of your relationship, you would have chosen being a mother over being in a relationship with someone that you loved. It was that important to you. I never, actually, I never thought about it because I didn't have to make the choice, but yes. It's the most extraordinary thing when you know something you just know. When I was pregnant with Henry, they do this terrible, but I suppose necessary test where they basically look at the DNA from your partner and yours mixed together and it spits out a number of the likelihood of you having a child with disabilities. And it gives you a X number in X thousand. And I wasn't in the thousands. I wasn't in the hundreds. I was in the teens. Like it was very likely. And I wrestled with the idea of getting an amniocentesis because I was like, I'm having this baby no matter what. But I had the amnio because I was like, I will be forewarned. I will know. And I was like, I'm having this baby. I'm having this baby no matter what. And I knew it. I knew it as clear as a bell. There's very few moments in life where we're that sure about things. Boy, clarity, you're right, is when you know without a blink, when you know. And you know what's so weird? I'm, you know, as I'm sitting here in my office, I was sitting in the chair that you can't see, it's behind you, when the adoption agency texted me. And I, I called it the project because I didn't want to look at my phone when it rang. It said the Project Ashley. And she wrote, call me, please. And I looked at the words and I was like, oh my God. So I literally sat there, took out a yellow pad and I looked at the clock. It's like 11.53. I said, this is the moment. Like this, there will always be like a before and an after. And I scribbled all that stuff down. And then I hit the button and I called her. And she said two words, she's here. Oh. I was like, I don't know what a live birth feels like, but that was pretty cool what I just got there. It was pretty amazing. And it was one of those time stands still, everything's frozen. It's like your life changes in a blink, like just like that. And there's a before and after. How long was it from the beginning of the process to that phone call? We got the call in January and I had talked to Joel in November. Wow. We had just moved in together. It was November, December, because they said it could take a year. I said to Joel, it may take some time. And I was like, it's actually not taking any time. It's just like when it happens, it happens. You know, your life is about to take a crazy turn. Yeah, it was very quick. How amazing. Gosh. Well, that is, that was you. you. You sitting there with your yellow legal pad was me waving the pregnancy test. Just, you know, there's a before and an ask and there's this moment of like, you're, you don't know. And then, oh my God, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
Were you excited right away? Oh my God, I was, I'd been told I couldn't have children. I'd, I'd been told when I was very young, this, <laughs> this pretty awful doctor, you know, I'm 18 years old and he basically compared all my tubes and my uterus as basically sort of looking like a U-bend in a toilet. <coughs> and he was like, you know, the chances of you having a child are extremely, un- extremely unlikely. I would say you'll never have a child. And I was like, well, is there like anything, is there anything I could do? Is there anything I can do? Like, you know, I'm 18, I'm sitting there in my paper gown open at the back. And he goes, well, you know, you could have a lot of sex and see if you shake something loose. I, I just remember stumbling out of there being like, this is no, you know, nobody, nobody helps you deal with that concept, but you, it's interesting how you're, you know, we didn't have, I mean, I say back then you and I are kind of around the same age, but it wasn't like there was a therapist or a, someone to really talk to about this huge idea your life sort of grows around it. So when things change, when I became pregnant, or I imagine when you get this call that you are actually going to be a mother, like it is actually going to happen. To say it's life-changing, it, I don't know, there are times words don't really, they don't really suffice, but it was epic and immense. And it definitely made me feel like there was some greater power at work. I feel like I should pay you for a therapy session. <laughs> You can. I'll send you my PayPal information, or you can just do a direct transfer. I'd like that. (laughs) Oh, Hoda, it's been such an incredible pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry you cried your mascara off. That's okay. (laughs) So great. Thank you. You can watch Hoda every weekday on the Today Show. And she will also be co-anchoring the Tokyo Olympics from July 23rd to August 8th. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.